Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you're having problems believing perhaps that God exists, is it possible that you have an authority issue? Authority. It's a word that seems to have fallen on hard times in our current culture. These days, almost anyone or anything that is considered to be authoritative is questioned. Sadly, for many, that even includes rejecting or ignoring God's authority. When you go to the polls, will you vote based on, you know, well, this guy's going to provide more benefits or based on a moral standard that God in his word has established? How you answer that question reveals whether God has authority over that area of your life. As we've made our way through the book of Mark in our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, we've seen consistently that the religious leaders have tried to undermine Jesus' authority to teach and even perform miracles. Today, we come to a part of the book of Mark where the religious leaders are becoming increasingly antagonistic toward Jesus. And after his cleansing of the temple, which we looked at last week, these religious leaders demand that Jesus tell them on what basis he is doing these things. Jesus responds, was, without a doubt, more than they bargained for. These hard-hearted religious leaders instantly know he's nailing us. And in the process, Jesus teaches us a thing or two about authority. We're so glad you've joined us today as Pastor Clay takes us to Mark eleven twenty-seven through 12, 12 and answers the question of authority. seems like a lifetime ago, really, but at one time in my life, and I know a lot of you know this, but at one time in my life, I was a a postmaster in the United States Postal Service. I don't know. I I just, (laughs) a dog took me out. It was, no. Um, And while I was a postmaster, I only ever had to fire one person. Uh, it was a, uh, a letter carrier, technically a rural route carrier. Does anybody know what a rural route carrier is? That's the person that drives their own vehicle and they go kind of more out in the country areas and stuff like that. Um, just one guy, is one guy. And uh, his, uh, his, his times were, were way too slow in his deliveries his error rate was, was way too high. Uh, customer complaints were, you know, more than they should have been. And it seemed like no matter what I said to this guy, uh, it, it seemed to make no difference. It, it seemed like my, my advice went unheeded. My warnings uh, were ignored. And it was as if either he did not believe that I had authority over him uh, and his job place, or he just didn't care because he continued to uh, to have this attitude that that he could do what he wanted, and, and I had no authority over him. And he he kept that same attitude even as I was showing him the door. Let's talk a little bit about authority. Uh, if you have a, a copy of God's Word with you, turn to Mark chapter 11. Last bit of Mark chapter 11, we're reading verses 27 
through Mark 12, 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. We're coming to the end of, obviously, uh, this chapter, moving in uh, to this series of events that's occurring. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Thank you guys uh, for being here today. Listen. They came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So it's like the next day. Remember, he came into Jerusalem, looked around, went back out, came in the next day. If y'all were with us uh, last week or last couple weeks, threw the money changers out and turned over tables and, and uh, exercised his, his righteous anger over the injustices that we're doing. Just the fact that they turned this into a, a marketplace instead of a place for God's people to meet. You know, all that kind of stuff goes back out. Now he's come back into the city again. For a third day, remember he's moving closer to the cross. It's the last week of his life. So the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. That's just three different names for just different parts of the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. And they began to saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, well, I will ask you one question. And you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Well, they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John, meaning John the Baptist, to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, uh, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, and he dug a vat under the wine press, and he built a tower, and he rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. And he sent him last of all to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him. And yet they feared the people, for they understood that, they, that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. Father, uh, today as we look at this uh, series, really, of events that's unfolding, and this, uh, this really conflict that's happening between Jesus and these religious leaders. Uh, it's, it's an event that happened uh, 2,000 years ago, and, and so it's easy for us 
to dismiss it, and, and I've got some things to say about that today. Father, I just pray that your uh, hand would be upon this, that your, uh, that your word would speak deep into our hearts, penetrate our hearts, our minds, our souls. Lord, that we would receive the truth of an event that, in some sense, as we read it, may not seem like it's necessarily applicable to us. Okay, these guys didn't like Jesus, and, and, uh, and they didn't want to follow his authority. But, Father, what does that mean for our lives uh, today? As we walk through this, would you just teach us your truth, and may, may I be the first one, Lord God, uh, May I be the first one to leave here changed. And may all of us seek to come out of here differently than we came in. It's not just another Sunday that we can sing the songs and, and sit here and listen as, as the, the preacher stands up here and talks. Lord, there's significance in this day and in what you want to say in your word, which is quick and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. And as I often ask, would you do surgery on our hearts on our lives today, uh, cut out of our lives what does not belong there. Sow into our lives. As the great physician, take your word and sow into our lives what will make us better followers of Jesus for his honor and his glory and his name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, let's talk about a question of authority. A question of authority. It's, it's clear in this text that uh, this has been building for some time, this, this, this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, right? Any of you that have been in this year-long study in the book of Mark, you've seen that periodically through, this, uh, through Jesus' ministry, whether he's up in Galilee, maybe when he came south, uh, at times even when he went out of the, the, the Galilee region, but from time to time, periodically, religious leaders would would encounter Jesus and they would do something in, a, in an attempt to uh, disrupt his teaching or to discredit his teaching or uh, to discount his authority among the people. I mean, they were trying this time and time and time again. It kept coming up. They kept doing these things. And of course, it, it always failed miserably. If you look at the stories, if you look at the accounts, it always failed miserably. Uh, in fact, uh, among, among not all the people, but among many of the people, Jesus' power, uh, his ability to perform miracles, Jesus' uh, teachings, Jesus' authority was growing among, among many of the people. Some people were even saying, could this be, maybe this is the, the Messiah, the, the Savior, the, the long-awaited one, the promised one, the anointed one. This, this could be him. But now, Jesus is on their turf, so to speak. You see, the religious leaders uh, considered themselves the keepers of the temple. They were the ones that, that everybody had to look to. They were the ones that kept up with the, the rituals and the festivals and the sacrifices and all the religious leaders, the priests, they all, you know, they all had their, had their roles to play. But they saw themselves as the, keeper, uh, 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 the keepers of the temple and they saw themselves overall as the religious authority in Israel, period. Now, Jesus is throwing a monkey uh, wrench all up in that mess because he is challenging their authority by his teaching. And I said this before, but his teaching 
is unlike any teaching that the people have heard before. He is teaching with authority. He's teaching, I think I said this last week, he's teaching as if he owns the place because he does. And the people were amazed at this teaching because he taught as one having authority. His teaching was his authority. His word was his authority. When I was... uh, when I was working on my doctorate and I was uh, involved in my, my writing project for my doctorate, whenever I made a, not every time, but, but sometimes whenever I, uh, I emphasized something or I drew a conclusion about something, you know, that, I, that, I was, that my writing project was on, if I came to some conclusion or whatever else, uh, sometimes my supervising professor would say to me, you've got to have more sources here. You've got to have uh, more experts. And he would say, he says, you are not an expert in this area yet. You're not a source of authority. You have to go find some sources of authority to substantiate the claim that you're trying to make. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus spoke from authority. And that simply would not do for the religious leaders. And so what we're going to see next week and a couple weeks as we continue on in chapter 12 and in chapter 13, the, the religious leaders begin to try uh, uh, to, to trip Jesus up. They begin to try a series of, of questions or tricks or whatever to get him to stumble, to get him to mess up, to cause him to lose credit with the people or to get in trouble with the Roman government. And the religious leaders, they don't care which. As long as they can get rid of this radical rabbi, we got to get this guy out of the way and we have to reestablish our authority. We're the authority in this country. We're the ones that say what is and what is not as far as it concerns God. Who does this guy think that he is? But before they bring the tricks, before they try and do the traps, they first say to him, by what authority? By what? By whose authority are you doing this? By what authority? I think it's in... uh, Uh, chapter 11, I think it's verse 28, I think I've got it before you look at it up on the screen, but he says, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do these things? We want an answer. In other words, they're flexing their authoritative muscles. Rabbi, who gave you the right to teach this or act this way? And so, what I want you to see is how Jesus kind of responds to this. And you start with this, this idea first. You start with this response from authority. Jesus gives a response from authority. They ask, who gives you the right to do this? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what. Answer me this question. John's baptism. Was it from God or was it from men? You tell me that and I'll tell you by whose authority I'm doing these things. Do you see what he does? He responds from, in other words, he doesn't, doesn't try and make up excuses. He doesn't try and lie his way out of it. or just, He doesn't try and say, oh, well, I, I wasn't really. No, no. He fully accepts the authority that they understand that he is claiming. And from authority, he says, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the answer to that question if you tell me this. Tell me about John's baptism. It's a perfect question, right? As we read in the text, it's a perfect question. Because if they say, well, it was from God then the people are going to see, all the people are going to see their hypocrisy because they didn't follow him. They didn't, they didn't believe what John said. And if they say, oh, it was from men, in other words, well, John, John just came up with this himself. He was, you know, the guy was a little loony out there eating 
bugs and honey and wearing camel skin. And, you know, you can't, who knows? If they, if they said that, uh, I, one of the gospel writers says that the, the, the people would have stoned them. Because John, they, they believe strongly that John was uh, on par with the Old Testament prophets and they believed that he was a man of God and that, and that what he said was, was authoritative and it was from God. They believed all that. So the religious leaders, as we just read, they, well, we, we, we don't know. We don't know which it was. Of course, Jesus knows. He knows their heart. He knows their deceptive manner. He knows, he knows the untruthfulness of the way they are. He, know, he knows everything about them. And so, from authority, he says, well, neither will I tell you by what source or what my authority is in bringing these things. It's a response from authority. You see, here's how it is. A person of authority, a person of authority never places himself or herself under someone else's authority if and until they choose to do so. Jesus would, in a sense, place himself under their authority. Jesus would allow the time to come where these men would murder him. But it would not happen until he was ready, until the appointed time. And it would not happen without a clear understanding of who really the source of authority was. Jesus gives this response from authority. Here's a second idea that I want you to see. It also comes along this revelation, what I call this revelation through authority. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and we read all that, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, A parable, most of you know this, but a parable is simply a story laid alongside uh, a truth that that you're trying to emphasize or clarify. And so you lay this story alongside of this truth to bring it out. It, uh, even as, uh, as my hands indicate, you know, the same root that we get our, our phrase parallel lines from. A parable is a story laid alongside of a truth to emphasize or clarify this truth. Now, some parables, are you all with me? Some parables are made to make you think, Right? I mean, we know that. We know Jesus told some parables that are kind of, you know, huh, kind of make you scratch your head, kind of make you ponder, to go deeper into the truth, to emphasize a little more, to clarify. Some parables are that way. This was not one of those parables. That's right. This parable is as transparent as it can be. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, these, it's so clear that the religious leaders, these hard-hearted religious leaders instantly know he's nailing us. He's he's putting this on on us. This is about us. It's a a sign of his authority, this revelation that he gives to the people. It is so clear what's going on. Now, you don't need me to do this if you've read the story more than once at all, but but just if if some of you like this kind of kind of stuff. Just, but, but in the parable, like I said, I don't think you need me to do this, but in the parable, the man that planted the vineyard is God. And then he rents it out to these vine growers. Pretty obvious that the vine growers are, in general, they're the nation of Israel and the responsibility that they had before God. But specifically, they are the religious leaders who were responsible for seeing fruit produced, spiritually speaking, seeing fruit produced in the nation of Israel. And they had obviously failed at that miserably. But the vine growers are Israel, the religious leaders. Uh, the slaves or the servants are the, the Old Testament prophets. Those those. 
those prophets that God sent time and time again. Y'all remember reading all those stories? Or if you have read those stories in the Old Testament, uh, God would send, a, would send a prophet and the prophet would declare to turn back to God, repent, turn away from your sin time and time again. And, and the people would treat, usually, would treat the prophets horribly. Many times they, they would kill them. Many times they would imprison them, they would beat them, all kinds of ways that they would, that they would mistreat. Because they didn't want to hear it, right? You understand, when you're, when you're in sin, if your heart is not right, if you notice this, maybe even about your own life. I, know, I can identify with it in my life at times. But when you're, when you're holding on to some sinful attitude or thought or action or whatever... And someone tries to come to you and speak truth into your life. If your heart is not right, you are not going to receive that person well. You're going you're to get angry with them. You're going to reject. Well, that's what the nation of Israel did. They didn't want to hear that, that they were messing up. They considered themselves God's people. And, of course, in the parable, uh, pretty obvious, but the vineyard owner's beloved son is, is obviously is Jesus himself, God's only begotten son who now had come upon the scene. Jesus ex- displays his authority by laying out this revelation of exactly what's going on. And, and the religious authority leaders couldn't stand it because it was so plain, it was so obvious. He's talking about us. Now, here's the deal. I wish, I wish I could say to you that the, that the next R in my little outline there is uh, repentance uh, because of authority, uh, because I, I truly, I honestly believe this. I believe that God's desire would have been that those religious leaders would have, would have come to their senses and said, well, wait a minute, what are we doing? He's right. God has sent messenger after messenger. God has displayed uh, his authority through the miracles of Jesus. He has proven time and time again that he fulfills all of the messianic prophecies. What in the world are we doing? Jesus is the Messiah. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. It sounds more official when you throw that in at the end. I would love to think that that's what happened, but that's, that's not what happened. No, yeah, that's right. Instead, what you end up with is a rejection of authority. Uh, in, in the verse, uh, it says, and they were seeking to seize him in 12.12. What's this? They feared the people, all right? So it's all about them and their lives. They feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And then this last part to me, you'd be hard-pressed to find much anything sadder in all of Scripture. And so they left him and went away. I've known people like that. And so they left him and went away. It is a rejection of the authority that God had in their lives. No, we, we won't. We won't do it that way. We won't. We won't recognize him. We won't give up our rights to who we... Uh, no, and it, it's a rejection of authority. I was reading this week um, about a, an article, I mean, reading in an article about an interview that Ozzy Osbourne did back in uh, 1997. And y'all, anybody know who Ozzy Osbourne is? And rock, old rocker guy and bites the heads off of bats and stuff like that. Um, yeah, he had not, Alice Cooper was way before him. He bit the heads off of snakes. Y'all remember that's back in the 70s. But anyway, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, in, uh, in this interview, uh, he, he talked about that one time he fi- they finished a concert and got, oh, they all got on the bus and they, I guess, heading to their next destination or whatever. And uh, he says they, they probably drove seven, eight hours, drove all through the night, and they finally stopped at a truck stop. 
and him and I assume maybe some of the other band members, whatever, they went in maybe to get some breakfast, get some coffee. And uh, Osborne says, we, we are in the middle of nowhere. When we finally stopped at this truck stop, he says, in the middle of nowhere. And he said, this guy comes up to his table and he, and he says, he tries to give me one of these track things that says, Jesus saves. And he, and he says to the guy, he says, dude, where in the world do you come from? He said, there's, there's no, nothing around here for miles and miles. And the guy says, I, I've, I've been following you all night. He said, I followed you all night, waited for you to stop so that I could, so that I could give you this, this information about Jesus and about what he's done for you. Osborne's response was, he says, let me get this straight. You drove all night following us just to hand me a bleeping piece of paper about Jesus? And the guy says, yeah, that's right. And he says, dude, he says, you don't need to go to church. You need to go to a bleeping psychiatrist. And that, that was the end of the encounter, and that was the end of the, the article, in essence. The refusal to recognize the authority of who Jesus Christ is. By the way, uh, to drive the point home, uh, that stone builders, that passage there in, in Mark, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118, I think it's verse 22 and 23, a passage that those religious leaders should have been very familiar with when he says, he says, have you not even read the scripture? Do you hear what he's saying? He said, haven't you even read this? The stone which the builders rejected, who's he talking about? Them, he's nailing them again. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, God's working. God, did you not ever read this? Okay, all right. I know that's, you know, uh, that's a lot of contextual uh, information about this event that occurred. And, and maybe it helps us have a better understanding of of the deepness of their hatred for Jesus and why they felt so threatened by Jesus. Maybe it helps us with all this, but, but I'll be honest with you. I did not just share all that I just shared with you just for informational purposes. I, I did, didn't share that with you just so you could fill in a, a few blanks or, or be a little more up to speed on what was going on in that last week of Jesus' life. Not that, that it's not good to know that stuff, but that's really not why I shared any of it with you today. I shared it with you. Listen to me right now. Listen to me. I shared... All of that about Jesus' authority and the questioning of his authority by the religious leaders, really to bring you to the point of asking every one of us in this place today one single question. Does God have authority in your life? Does God have authority in your life? Now listen to me. Don't, don't get excited here. I want to pray. This is not the end of the sermon. But I want to pray just a minute. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, this is an incredibly important question right now. Uh, and one that I've been thinking a lot about uh, this week, even as I've been working on this message. Uh, and it is a sobering question. Uh, if we're not careful, uh, we can approach it very flippantly. But Father, would you right now just help every person in this room or every person who will listen to this message to focus on that one single question to make it personal to them. Does God have authority in my life? Amen. Okay, now, positionally speaking, yes. 
right? Positionally speaking, most of you in here, most of the people who listen to this message, even though we see our culture going more and more, it seems, anti-God, but still, the majority of people in this nation, year after year they do surveys, show that the majority of, of Americans believe that God exists, that, that God is. So, positionally speaking, most people would say, yes, God has authority over my life. Uh, God is uh, I am not God. Uh, God is this all-powerful being, and so uh, I know that he has authority over my life, right? Now, if you happen to be here, and I don't know if anybody here in, in this situation at this point, but if you happen to be here and you're at a place where you say, well, I'm not sure that I even believe that at this point. I'm not even sure that I believe that God exists, so I, I, I sure don't know whether that means, whether if whether you'd have authority over my life or not. If you happen to be here or listening to this message, and and that should be where you are currently, can I just say this first? I applaud you for being here. For being here and sitting under the Word of God and, and, and seeing, investigating and seeing whatever. But second, I would say this to you. If you're having problems believing, perhaps, that God exists, ask yourself if it really is an evidentiary problem. In other words, you, I've examined all of the evidence and, and for how we can know God exists or uh, the validity of Scripture or the, the reality of Jesus Christ and uh, the empty tomb. And I've looked at all this stuff and there are gaping holes in it and I just, I just have a problem with it. Is it really that or is it possible that you have an authority issue? Because to, to, conf- to admit, to come to the place where, where you would admit Yes, God is. The God revealed in Scripture is. To admit that is to concede that that God then has authority over your life. If, if the God that is revealed in Scripture is real and he exists, then that God would have authority over your life because he's creator of all, including you. He has he's seen the beginning, the end. It's all part of his plan and his purposes. Uh, you would, to recognize that would mean that you'd have to admit that he has authority over your life. And I'll just be honest with you, a, a lot of people simply don't want to concede that God has authority over their life. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's where you are today, if, but I think that it at least deserves some, some open heart examination. But anyway, does God have authority over your life? Positionally speaking, Sure. No problem. But here's the more important aspect of that question. Does God have authority over your life, my life, practically? And, and there's a question mark up there intentionally. Because that's a question that only you can answer for you. And only I can answer for me. Every person in this room right now. Does God have authority over my life practically? Oh, positionally? Sure, no problem. Yeah, okay, he's God. Got it. But how about in the everyday practical stuff? For instance, let me just give you an example. If you, and I, I know we got uh, uh, a lot of singles who are gone on a camping trip this weekend, but if, if you're here and you happen to be single and, and you are dating someone, are you sexually active with that person? Now, I'm, I'm sorry if, I'm get, if that's a little too personal, but... But how you answer that question reveals whether God has authority over your life, practically speaking, in that area. Do you understand? Because his word says sexual relationship between one man and one woman in covenant marriage, period, right? 
And, and, and if, if you're not following that, then God doesn't have authority over your life, in that, practically speaking, in that area. When you go to the polls on Tuesday, and, and I hope you're all going to the polls that can, if, you're, if you can vote and physically able to or whatever, when you go to the polls on Tuesday, will you vote based on, on party preference or based on you know, well, this guy's going to give me a better tax break, or this guy's going to provide more benefits, or this guy's going to... Or, based on a, a moral standard that God, in His Word, has established. Because how you answer that question reveals whether God has authority over that area of your life. You mean God wants authority over my voting? Uh, yeah. Let's Let's see. <laughs> We've talked about sex. We've talked about politics. Oh, why not? Let's talk about money. Do you practice the biblical concept of tithing? Well, thank, thank you. You too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Do you practice the biblical concept of tithing? Because, listen to me, if you don't, God does not have authority, practically speaking, over, the, over your finances. You understand? You're making those decisions, right? You're deciding, well, I can't afford to, to, to do that, or I can afford to make this monthly payment on that, or I can. You're making those authoritative uh, decisions, not God. So let's be honest. Don't say God has authority over your life in that area. And listen, on and on we could go, right? It, 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 uh, husbands, are you loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Are you loving them in a way that puts their best interests first? If not, you're not submitting to God's authority in your life as a man. Speaking of submitting, uh, wives, are you submitting to the authority of your husband in your home under God, under biblical guidelines? We've talked about that before. God doesn't expect you to submit uh, when your husband asks you to do something that's unbiblical. But, but it, are, are you submitting to the authority of your husband in your home? Because if you're not, God does not have authority over your life, practically speaking, in the area of your marriage. Like I said, from raising your children to uh, the, the language that you use, to the conversations we engage in, to the clothes we wear, the practical everyday things of life, either... We are seeking God's authority and wisdom in that, or we're taking authority ourselves or, or giving it to the world around us or something like that. You understand? That's the more important question. Does God have authority practically over my life? Okay, all right. Maybe you're here, and, 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 because listen, <laughs> this is going to sting a little, all right? But it's, it stung me when I thought about it. If... I am not submitting to God's authority in some area of my life. And, and you understand, I think everybody understands, I say this all the time, we're not talking about sinless perfection here. That's not a cop-out. I can't use that as an excuse to not submit to God's authority. But I know I'm not going to get it right 100% of the time, and I'm fooling myself if I think I am. But if there's an area of my life, whether it's the way I treat my spouse or, the, or what I do with my finances or you know, how, how I talk to people at work or whatever it is, if... If there's an area in my life where I, I just don't care what God says, I don't want to do that, and I'm not submitting to God's authority, then what really makes us any different from the religious leaders that refused to submit to Jesus' authority? And I, you know, I'm not trying to offend, to offend you, and your first thought may be, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. 
He's my Savior. I I love Him. He's my God. Then live it. Live it. Live His authority over our lives. Let's just not say it positionally. Oh, yes, He's God. Practically speaking, live it out. Okay, how do we do that? Uh, I, I, I want to, I, I want to know the truth. I want to know how to do this. I want to live practically the reality that God has authority over my life. How do I do that? I'll just give you two things that help me in my life, okay? First one is this, seek to know him. Don't even, I mean, first seek to know him. The whole, well, you know, should I do this? I, forget about it. just seek to know God. You have to put in the time. You have to put in the effort. You have to put in the energy to seek to know him. Not just know about him, right? But to actually walk in the reality of who God is. To know him in your life. And the prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen: You will look for me and you will find me when you look for me. Say it. With all your heart. That's what it is to seek to know God. Do you seek to know God? Can I ask you that question? Do you seek to know God with all of your heart? I, I tell you, uh, the Apostle Paul is you know, one of our heroes in the faith. He certainly uh, lived out the reality in Philippians chapter 3. He says, this is, this is the burning passion of his life, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's all part of knowing who God is in Christ Jesus, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, and here's, here's what happens. As you seek to know God, here's what happens. God's thoughts, God's desires begin to become yours as you get to know him. Not that you become godlike in, in your power or, or, you know, you understand that. It's not that you become godlike, but it's that as you draw closer to him and identify more with him and know more uh, of, of the person that God is, the things that, guess what? The things that matter to God begin to matter to you. The things that are important to God begin to become important to you. Why? Because you, you, you know him. And, and, it, and it matters to you. Didn't, didn't you do the same thing? If any of you here that are, that are married or, or have been married, didn't, didn't you do the same thing in a sense when you began to, to date the, the person that you fell in, in love with? And you get to know them. And as you got to know them, the things that, that, that mattered to them began to be things that mattered to you, became important to you. That's what it is in this, because this whole God thing, what is it? It's not religion, it's what? relationships. Some of y'all read my book. It's not, it's not religion, it's relationship. Religion will let you get by with knowing about God. Relationship won't. So, to, to know him, that, that, that's one of the ways it just helps me. And then, you know, uh, kind of a natural progression of that is to seek to show him. The more I know him, the more I want to show him, the more I want him to be expressed in my life. So that, so that clay isn't showing up in some situation where he would not be as kind or not. But you understand? But, but Christ is being lived out through me. As I know him, I want to show him. Again, as the Apostle Paul uh, put it in Galatians chapter 2, I was put to death on the cross with Christ. Now listen, Paul's not delusional. 
He knows he's not physically dead yet. Listen to what he says. I was put to death on the cross with Christ, and I do not live anymore. It is Christ who lives in me. I still live in my body. I'm not crazy, guys. I know I'm still alive. But I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to save me. Do you, do you understand? That, that mindset is what allows me to not just acknowledge God's authority positionally, but to acknowledge God's authority practically in my life. That's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes authentic. And that's when it begins to change my life into who God has created me to be. It's no longer a game. It's no longer a religious thing I'm trying to keep up with. or It becomes real in my life because I know him and I want to show him. Listen, this, this whole thing is God's deal. He's going to wind it up. He's already decreed how it's going to turn out. He's going to wind this thing up the way he sees. He has already declared that it's going to wind up in his timing. We look around and, and a lot of us speculate that it, that it can't be long to, for the end, that we can't be far from the end. But, but in God's, he's going to wind this thing up the way he has decreed that it will. But Part of that decree, I believe, is the sovereign desire that man, mankind, created in his image as as moral agents can freely choose to submit or place themselves under God's authority. We can look at a million places in Scripture where people chose, or we can look at a million examples in life where people choose not to place themselves under God's authority. But God desires that we would choose to not just say it positionally, but to say it practically. Yes, God has authority over my life. We live in an age where fewer and fewer people, quite honestly, at least in this nation, in this culture, probably where fewer and fewer are going to choose to do that. It doesn't stop us from inviting. It doesn't stop us from sharing Christ. It doesn't stop us from trying to see. And we do see people come to Christ and praise God for it. But a lot of people are simply going to be unwilling. I choose Christ. That's what I want for my life. What do you choose? Who has authority over your life? Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder that when it comes to recognizing God's authority, there is both positional and practical authority. How easy it can be for us to say that God has authority over our lives. But as Pastor Clay showed us today, the bigger question is, does God have authority practically over my life? Getting to know Him more intimately and seeking to show Him more consistently through our lives really is the key to living practically in the authority of God. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. 
Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Slay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.